You're listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. Welcome into the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Dan Dan Lynch of Oklahoma State Football. Dan, welcome in. Thank you for having me, Chase. All right. So why don't you give a little bit of background about yourself, um, where you grew up, what got you into PT initially, and then kind of where you are right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my background stems uh, from high school. Um, I, was, I was born and raised in Southwest Florida, Fort Myers. Um, and I was a football player, uh, had aspirations to go to college, had aspirations to, um, you know, kind of be the first of my family to go to college actually. So I, I was uh, really inspired and by some of the people that took care of me throughout that time, um, and allowed me to continue to play. Uh, some of those were athletic trainers. Some of those were physical therapists. Some of those were chiropractors. So I kind of went into college kind of unsure so the first year I kind of uh, took kind of a, a gap year. Um, I tend to do that a lot. I I uh, started off, went to college, played football, got recruited. And I was like, hey, do you have athletic training as a major? And they're like, yes. I was like, would you let me? And so that was kind of like actually a, a sticking point for me. Um, I, I wanted to get into sports medicine. I thought it was really cool. So I uh, uh, kind of jumped around a little bit that first year, like I said. But then I got accepted in the athletic training program after that. Um, and, so, and so I played football and, and did athletic training uh, all through college. Um, when I graduated, I actually was like, you know what? I'm going to uh, spend a little time. I'm going to go work for a chiropractor. Maybe I want to do chiropractic, not physical therapy. So I worked for the chiropractor for like two years. And I was like, you know what? PT is my thing. Um, yeah, I mostly did rehab with him. And so I went off to PT school. Um, in that interim period, I also did an NFL internship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, and then kind of practiced for a little bit and then went to PT school. Um, I went to PT school at the University of St. Augustine in St. Augustine, Florida. They have kind of multiple campuses, but um, I went to the, 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 the original campus um, and uh, it was fun living at the beach and all that. It was, it was kind of a good experience. But uh, uh, when, I, when I was there, I uh, spent time uh, kind of focused on like, all right, I want to get into sports and kind of spend a lot of time really diving into my uh, orthopedic um, and manual therapy kind of classes. Um, actually stepped out of graduation there with um, 75% of my manual therapy certification, uh, which was a nice, nice little big uh, gig uh, that they have there. I um, also at the same time was applying to residencies um, and I applied to Duke University's uh sports uh, residency and the time that my graduation and the residency would start didn't line up. So they actually denied my application. Uh, so I was kind of bummed. And then about two weeks later, the residency director called me back and said, Hey, we really liked your application. We really liked where you are. Uh, we understand that you weren't able to you know, be our resident this year, but we're looking for PT ATCs um, uh, to, to work in our outreach program. I was like, Yes. You know, it was an opportunity to, 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 to learn from good people. And, um, I, uh, you know, got the job and I, I was an outreach, uh, physical therapist for a high school. So the way they have it set up is, uh, they, you work in the clinic in the morning and then in the high and during the fall, you go every day out to a local high school and help the athletic trainers out with game coverage, practice coverage. Um, cause in the state of North Carolina, they require an athletic trainer to be on site. I'm not sure if they've uh, adopted that in Florida or not, um, but uh, so I was able to kind of help the athletic trainer uh, cover practice, um, do rehabs, but it was also a good um, kind of outreach for the orthopedic side so they could actually get um, quality rehab through the continuum. So we did a lot of late phase rehab with the high school athletes out of the high school instead of once their uh, benefits were all uh, used up for physical therapy, we would kind of pick up the, the slack and continue the, the, the rehab process. So it was kind of a good experience. I did that for about two years um, and I was like, you know, I got to I got to get 
out of high school, I want to get into collegiate or professional sports. Um, so I um, took the opportunity to uh, kind of spread my wings from Duke um, and had an opportunity to work with uh, the team uh, physician for Florida Gulf Coast University. And so I spent my time um, 40 hours a week uh, in the clinic working for his clinic. Um, and then outside of that, I would stop by the university, help the athletic trainers out, do help help with some post-op rehabs, help out with some more, more complicated rehabs that they were having, and kind of developed a, a good little, um, you know, rapport with them. And it took about, you know, three or four months to, to establish that. Um, but once, you know, they, they realized I was there to help, not to uh, take over or, or, you know, try and show that I was smarter than them or whatever. They didn't, they were kind of hesitant at first, but they slowly kind of got more used to me being there. And then um, COVID hit, uh, but I had already kind of planned ahead and was like, yeah, I, I really like this, uh, this, you know, collegiate thing. I'm not sure how much traction I'm going to take and get here at Florida Gulf Coast. And, um, you know, they had flat out told me we're never going to have a PT on staff here. Um, and so I was like, okay, so, uh, you know, maybe I need to start, you know, venturing off. I applied to some positions, didn't get much traction. So I um, applied back to Duke uh, and took the fellowship. Um, so when COVID hit, it was kind of this big up in the air, like, oh, no, what's going to happen to my fellowship? What's going to happen with this outreach stuff to uh, Florida Gulf Coast? So the, the you know, athletics stopped um, for the most part. Um, so I didn't really have much uh, going uh, during that interim from like March to to July uh, when the fellowship was projected to start. And I really didn't know um, up until July 1st. And I had already been already moved <laughs> to North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to that the fellowship was actually going to start with with the COVID and everything like that. Um, so, you know, leap of faith again, just to kind of, you know, take the opportunity. Um, and so this last this last year from July of 2020 to July of 2021, I was at Duke doing the Division One fellowship, uh, which was an amazing experience. Yeah, COVID kind of dampered some of it, but the the clinical experience and the opportunity to to grow and, and do some networking was there. Um, it wasn't as expansive as I had kind of envisioned when I when I applied and, and, and uh, thought about going into the fellowship. But it was an amazing experience, amazing mentors. I still carry. I I, I text the mentors there um, daily. Um, and then along along that journey, I I, uh, I actually acquired a position full time at Duke um, for about a, about a day. Um, and then. Uh, <laughs> I had already kind of had uh, Oklahoma State on the hook. They were they were deciding if they wanted to hire a PT um, on staff for the football team. And, and my whole goal, you know, being a high school football player was to work maybe one day with a football team. So there's a whole kind of inspiration kind of behind getting into sports, getting into everything. So being a football player at heart, it was a no-brainer when they offered me the job to, to move out to Oklahoma. So picked up the family again uh, three years in a row and um, – we moved to Oklahoma and it's been great so far. Uh, we're five and zero. go pokes. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma state is always a, uh, underrated team, I think. And, uh, I think, you know, you guys being five and zero, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys take a storm and, and, uh, you know, just pull an upset. Um, so kind of, yeah, diving a little bit deeper. Um, so what made you want to choose like doing like a sports fellowship or sports residency over, over like an ortho residency? Like, was there any other things? Like I know your end goal was sports, um, but what other benefits did you kind of like, you know, weigh when deciding to do, if you wanted to do sports or just ortho? Uh, for, for me, um, I had, I felt like I had a really good, um, PT school, um, focus on orthopedics. So I actually felt really, really confident in my orthopedic skills. Um, but second, I had also had a lot of clinical experience in my internships. Um, all, all of my, um, my, internship or clinical direct, um, you know, instructors were all OCS. And so I kind of had a lot of um, exposure to some of the, um, you know, clinical prediction rules and some of those things that are on the OCS exam. Um, I think at some point I will um, venture off and do the OCS just to kind of prove to people that I know my orthopedic stuff, not just my sports stuff. But um, at, for me, my personal goals was, was sports. Um, and so I felt like, um, 
that doing a sports was going to be two part. I think it was going to be um, an opportunity to get some real like hands in the ground kind of work um, to gain some of those skills. And, and, and almost in a weird way, being a AT with some experience and a PT in a non arrogant way, I, I knew that I had the skill set, but nobody else knew that. Um, so in, in another way, it was like I didn't have the validating skill set um, or experience to say, yes, he is qualified to work in sports uh, as a PT. Uh, AT, also my only experience other than a cool internship was high school, um, high school mm-hmm. kind of outreach stuff. Um, so for me, if I wanted to, I knew that talking with collegiate athletic trainers, professional athletic trainers that I met along the way, um, you kind of have to have that validating experience. And so that's what a residency or fellowship meant to me. It's that validating experience, the, that one-on-one mentorship that allowed me to, one, connect with people, um, maybe even build some uh, networking um, that you can't really get on your own sometimes unless you're just that kind of individual. And uh, if you guys meet me outside of a podcast, I'm a, a fun guy, but I'm also kind of reserved. Uh, so I, I keep to myself. I stay humble. I don't, I'm not a, a, you know, a big in your face kind of guy that's seeking attention. So I felt like had being forced into some networking was also a, a good thing out of a, a residency or fellowship. So I, you know, in, in hindsight, in a weird way, I, I never did a residency. So, you know, I think having a few years of orthopedic and sports experience, um, and taking my, um, my SES before doing a fellowship kind of was that validating opportunity to get a fellowship. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't think I really needed a residency to do a fellowship. And there's so many residencies and fellowships out there. It, it's so individualized and so, like, individually goal-based. Like, my road is not going to be the same as anybody else's um, because, you know, my life choices, my life experiences led me a certain path, but it doesn't mean that you can't go back. It's not that you can't do a residency if you don't do it right out of school or you can't do a fellowship if you don't do it right after residency. I think it's just sometimes um, being the the squeaky wheel gets the oil uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and that's, I think that's probably the, the thing that allowed me to get to where I am now is taking no as an opportunity to learn, not a, uh, indictment on my abilities. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's pretty, I know that's not the question you asked, but you know, when it comes to, you know, going around and figuring out where my path was, I think, uh, ultimately fellowship was, was the catalyst to my career. And I, I can't say that, um, for anything else that I've done in, in my, in my, my years of experience. Right. And I think, that, you know, that, you know, piece of wisdom that you shared of, you know, taking that no, not as a no, but, you know, as an opportunity to grow and learn some other way can be applied, you know, to life in general, or even not even just residencies, but like for job offers or for any other opportunities, you know, don't take it as like a, a da- uh, you know, a dash across the head, but instead take it and figure out, okay, what can I learn from this experience and what else can I do with this newfound like time or experience? Yeah. And I- just one more thing on, on that. Every interview that I've ever done um, on residencies or fellowships or jobs, I've learned something more, not only clinically, but also about myself and where my motivations were. And in a weird way, if you listen to yourself talk, you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> in a weird right. way. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've done this a couple of episodes of the podcast and I learned, I've learned a bit about myself. I've learned that I say, um, and all rights quite a bit. <laughs> but overall, I've, I've learned more about myself, and that's you know very true. Uh, so stepping back, yeah, for sure. As you are both a PT and ATC, um, what do you think? What have you found works best when communicating with other members of the sports medicine team? You know, physicians or other ATCs or other PTs, or even when it comes to talking to position coaches or head coaches, um, maybe about the status of a player. What like trait do you think works best with that? Um, I think understanding the situation is always the, the first thing, right? If it's uh, on a sideline, you know, it's urgent, you know, they got, you know, 50,000 uh, fans screaming in the stands and, uh, you know, 
something's happening right now, um, you know, maybe being short, brief to the point and saying very key terms um, that you can hear and that are direct. Um, but then sometimes, um, you know, in, in the quiet of an office and you have the time to speak to your athlete and or the coach is coming through, hey, what's what's going on with X, you know, X person or whatever. And you're like, all right, so here's here's the whole story. Right. Um, you know, sometimes you you, you, ha- you can and, in, in, you know, give a little bit more picture when you're communicating. Um, you know, so I think understanding this, the circumstance is always the first thing. Um being prepared is, is actually a big component too. kind of always being prepared for that conversation. Um, it, it really helps, uh, you know, understanding what's going on around, you know, understanding the schedule, understanding the urgency, uh, like this week we have a bye week So, um, you know, we have a little bit of wiggle room, so there's not as much urgency to, you know, get the status updates and all those kind of things. Um, but I, I think the, the first thing is understanding the situation, understanding the individual you're talking to, um, you know, if you're talking to a coach, you shouldn't be using the same verbiage uh, when you're talking to a physician. Um, so I think that's a big part, speaking to people at their level, but not talking down um, or trying to make yourself sound smarter than you really are. Because uh, physicians and other athletic trainers, they can pick up on that stuff pretty quick when you're full of crap. Um, and so, you know, um, being confident in your in your in what the, the message you're trying to get across is really important. But but ultimately, um, just being true to who you are, um, and, and, and people, you know, building relationship is obviously the biggest component of that. If you don't have a relationship, you can't talk with somebody, you know, I, I'm kind of new in Oklahoma. So, you know, I, I, don't know the coaches all that well. I don't know. Um, I mean, I know my athletic training staff relatively well and some of the physicians relatively well, but they don't really know me that, that much yet. So, um, also taking the opportunity to get to know people when you're not, uh, communicating about um, important information <laughs> is, is really good. Um, and so once, so because once you come up to that individual and you're talking about something important, they know to listen to you and, and know how you speak and kind of understand you a little bit too. Um, yeah, but, but ultimately I think it, it comes down to um, knowing the situation, knowing the message you're trying to get across and, and knowing who you're talking to. All right. Kind of building off that question a little bit. So let's say it is a player, mm-hmm. and you're you're talking to a player, or you know, and a coach at the same time, trying to discuss you know the status of their injury and like where they are. How do you go about setting those expectations correctly? You know, you want to make sure that the athlete can get back as quickly as possible, but as safely as possible. So how do you like correctly manage those expectations? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to tell an athlete. Oh, we'll get you back out there quickly, and then as soon as you know if there's a hiccup, then they're they don't you don't want to like make any false promises about where they are in the rehab process. Yeah, I, I think this is where the the timeline versus criteria based um, uh, communication is really important. You know, if you talk to an athlete and you're like, hey, if you hit this check mark, this check mark, this check mark, chances are good we're going to be safe, uh, but also able to perform. You know, when you talk to athletes and coaches, you want to talk about their performance. You don't want to talk about, oh, everything's safe. They don't really care if it's safe, especially in football. Um, Sometimes they do. But, you know, uh, a lot of times it's like, can I go? Um, And will I make it worse if I go? And that's hard. That's hard to answer. Right. Like and then my my uh, typical phrase is uh, there's always an inherent risk. And you always I always preface that a little bit. But but also like. I think it's important to um, make sure that you are uh, telling the athlete along the way, not just all of a sudden like, "Hey, this is where you're at," but also knowing those knowing, knowing those criteria and able to to explain it to the coach in a in a you know one or two sentence kind of conversation is really important. Or you can even say like, "Hey, they just don't have they just don't have the explosion yet." You know, uh, if it's like a, you know, an ankle sprain or something relatively minor, you know, you can have that communication uh, in, in terms of, hey, they can't do they can't jump yet, um, you know, for instance, or they can't do this kind of uh, move yet. Or, hey, they're still not able to block with their hands because their thumbs broke or, you know, whatever. Um, and 
and so like there's just different um i don't know if i'm answering this exactly correct but like you have to uh, really be uh kind of in a scenario where you're always kind of saving face a little bit because if you make a promise you can't keep they they figure out that you're a liar and then, then they don't trust you in the future um so you kind of always preface a little bit and you know kind of hey if we do this first and then we get through this part of practice and then we do this part of practice and we do this then we know that you're ready to roll uh for xyz game or or whatever and so like for instance i have a, a, a long termer that's kind of looking to come back in mid-season and it's like all right we got this this and this that we still got to get to before you can you know be out there and, and be safe and, and be prepared and the coaches on, are on board they understand that because we've been saying that from the beginning um and so i think not changing your tone at the at the at the you know 90 uh or the, the 10 yard line um you know like oh you know you don't you don't you didn't do your your hop test right or whatever like hey we we know that you're going to do a hop test periodically you're going to do this xyz um uh and so when those things start happening they start to see that unfold um but on also don't say that you're going to do because i've done this before where we got busy and weren't able to do a a screening test or something like that and um it's like hey we didn't do that today i was like my bad you know like because if because if you say that you're going to do a certain test to see how strong they are. You're going to do, you know, the biodex and you don't do it. Uh, and when they think that you're going to do it, they also come at you like, Hey, what up? You know, we, we said we were going to base my, my, you know, progression based off of this test and we didn't do the test, you know? And then, so, so if you're going to make a, a criteria make sure you follow it, you know? Um, and so I, th I think that's, that's a big part too, is making sure that you set those, um, those precedents ahead of time and then follow through with those. Right. And I think that's like one of the more scary things being a new grad, even if it's like a general low back patient and they ask, how long am I going to have this? It's always like, you know, I always try to preface it with like, you know, it varies person to person. It depends on a lot of different factors um, because, you know, the worst thing you can do is make a promise. It's like, Oh, you'll be back in four weeks. And as soon as it's four weeks in one day, they're going to ask you, I thought you said it was four weeks, you know, even though that's a pretty broad term and people's minds, they want to, when, you, mm -hmm. when they hear four weeks, they expect on the 30th day, they should be good to go and, and you know, no more pain or whatever is bothering them. Um, so I guess setting those expectations and then continually updating them and showing them like, okay, here's where you're getting better is super important. And um, I think that's great advice. I think you answered the question like perfectly. Um so another kind of like more focused clinical question, um, how do you at like Oklahoma State, because I know schools vary or different programs vary as well, how do you guys determine whether an athlete is seen by the athletic trainer versus the PT? Is it based on if it's a chronic or a long-term rehab versus like an acute care, acute, more acute rehab? Um, how do you guys decide who goes where? Yeah, I, I think um, here and then, even at Duke, there was, there was defined, uh, defined, like, you know, the PT is going to deal with the post-ops, you know, for instance, or, you know, guys out, uh, for an extended period of time, they're not going to be involved in practice, whatever, you know, the PTs will probably handle that case. So, so that the, you know, immediate acute, the kind of the triage, which athletic trainers are very good at, uh, the triage and, and mm -hmm. immediately starting kind of starting that, uh, palliative care and starting that kind of getting that process of uh, healing um, expedited. Uh, they're very good at that. That's what they do from the time they graduate every day. Um, and so where we kind of catch people a lot of times after a couple of weeks, especially in, in like school and uh, in our training, you know, we catch people after a referral comes through or, and very rarely do we get that direct referral, which we are all seeking as PTs and especially in the outpatient world. And so, you know, they just have more experience on that triage side of things. So I, not only that I, have I been doing that for the last, you know, two years, but I, uh, um, I still kind of say, Hey, this is your, 
what you're really good at. I'm not bad at it. So I'll kind of be a secondary. Say we have three guys walk in, we have three athletic trainers. I'll take one of them, you know, but if two come in and a post-op comes in, I'm grabbing the post-op, you know? So, um, and, and so sometimes we schedule them sometimes we don't. So it's, it's very variable. It's based off individual schedules. They have class, they have meetings, they have film, they have so many other things pulling on them. So we try not to be too dictative of their time. So we give them windows. Um, but when the guys walk through the door, it's kind of an unspoken, all right, Dan's taking this guy. And, uh, and when there's not a lot of post-ops, um, you know, it's, it's come one, come all, you know, it's just everybody pitch in, do the work, get the work done, um, be a team player. And, and so I think that's kind of, the, it, it's, there's not a defined uh, line there. I think it's kind of, all right, we know Dan's skill set. We know our skill set. I'm speaking for my colleagues, but, um, and so there's kind of like a, a natural uh, uh, attraction towards the things you're good at. And uh, I know I'm good at post-ops. I know I'm good at kind of those more complicated, you know, hip and shoulder and thoracic spine and, and, you know, lumbar and cervical spine. Um, and there are some skill sets that I have like dry needling and uh, uh, manipulation and stuff that if the, you know, the athletic trainers like, Hey, we need, I, we feel like they might benefit from this. What do you think? And then, you know, they'll, they'll give me a second, I'll give a second opinion and either do that treatment or not. Right. Just depending on if, if it'll be effective or not. Um, or if I think it'll be effective because you never know hundred percent. Um, and other parts is like, we've, we've grown to know, uh, you know, about each other and, and what we're good at. And so as we're learning about each other, because this is, you know, our first season together, um, we pick, pick each other's brains. There's, there's no shame in saying, Hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? Like I've, I have a post-op right now that I've been working with. And I talked to one of the other athletic trainers. I said, Hey, you know, they're kind of hitting the plateau. You know, have you seen things like this before? What are your thoughts? And they gave me great, great insights, you know? And so I think when you can put your ego and leave it in the car before you walk into the facility, it's going to make a really good work environment. And if everybody does that every day, you're, you're going to be in good shape. And I think that applies to across the board. Sometimes your uh, orthopedic surgeon or your team physician is going to say something that you don't agree with. And you kind of have to say, all right, I'll put my, I'll check my ego. And uh, sometimes you don't, sometimes it's in the patient's best interest to not. And so you don't, you're not aggressive or combative or, you know, unprofessional in any way, but sometimes you ask a question, to be sure. Um, so I think, you know, having this, I think sports medicine in a multidisciplinary environment is more gray than black and white. Um, and sometimes as humans, especially majority people in, uh, this kind of environment are, are very structured type a, um, type of individuals where they want to take charge and, and be the one to, to do, do the good job. Um, I think if you can check yourself at the door and, and, and say, Hey, Let's work together as a team because that's going to work much better. And I think there's an article that just came out about that exactly um, through JSPT, a buddy of mine, Vien Vu and uh, Chris Lefevre, both fellows um, of other universities. Well, Chris Lefevre was a previous fellow at Duke and Vien Vu was at Wake Forest. Now he's uh, Oregon, uh, Oregon State's uh, PT um, and they're, they're great guys, but, you know, they kind of have been in that multi- multidisciplinary environment for the last couple of years. And so they're like, Hey, let's, let's, let's publish something. That's um, a little bit of a narrative about how this can work. And um, athletic trainers are starting to see that, you know, um, last year at, uh, I don't know, maybe it's two years ago at APTA, um, you know, the sports section leader invited the NATA uh, leader to the, um, uh, to APTA and, it, you know, or, or combined section meetings or whatever it is, a CSM. And, you know, he was around talking to, to, to sports specialized physical therapists about, you know, what their role could be and how we could help and how um, sometimes bringing in more data helps. Um, and sometimes uh, it just takes time to figure out, you know, who wants that and who doesn't. And um, yeah. 
I could talk about this a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is actually the second time Vien's article has come up. Um, I read it and I thought it was great. Um, you know, I've shadowed, you know, I've done some venue coverage with athletic trainers and they've always been like super, um, you know, willing to just talk about different patients they have, you know, we don't share any common patients, but you know, kind of how they attack their rehab, especially, you know, when it's short term, because that's something I've asked about, like, how do you handle them when they have to turn around and play in a game in three days? Um, and they've also been like, you know, how do you go about cueing certain exercises? So I think the communication that I've had with athletic trainers has been great. And I think that, um, VN's article kind of reflects that this is kind of like what the relationship between athletic training and PT could be, you know, if everyone was just focused on helping the patient get better. Cause that was the main point that I took away from his article was that, you know, athletic trainers were realizing, you know, PTs aren't trying to step on our turf. We're just trying to help, you know, everyone get better and, you know, make a better sports medicine team overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I- I'll say one more thing, uh, you know, at, at, at my fellow, during my fellowship, you know, the, the thing they kind of said from like week one is like, if, if what you're thinking is through the eyes or through the, um, through the lens of the kids come first and if it's better, best for the kids, you know, obviously this is different in the professional world cause they're not kids, but, um, at least in the collegiate, um, student athlete world, if, if it's through the lens that it's best for this individual and that's the way you think and everybody thinks that way, it's going to be a great environment. It's going to be a really productive team. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think that can be applied, you know, from every level from high school to all the way up to the professional level. All right. So kind of um, stepping back and maybe a little bit more not so serious clinical questions. What has been your favorite on-field moment while you've been at Oklahoma State so far? Uh, I've had a couple. It's been a surreal surreal year. It's been the year of uh, the dreams coming to pass. Um, so, you know, just, just walking out there on game day, you know, it's it's been amazing. Because um, last year, uh, you know, we didn't have much of crowds. Uh, so being in a, a full stadium and, you know, uh, you know 65,000 people screaming and, uh, you know, cheering on the team is, is kind of a surreal kind of thing for me. Um, it's, it's just like, oh, wow, this is great. Because, I mean, like I said, I, went, I played college football, but it was a small school that did not have that many people in the stands. And I had some cool experiences uh, at the NFL, but there's some some kind of passion about NCAA football. Um, and so, yeah, I would I would say just kind of experiencing game day. You know, it's it's like the, you know, you grind for 70 hours a week and, you know, you sit back and enjoy the game. You don't enjoy the game because you're watching intently and you're taking care of the guys on the sideline and you're, you know, you're catching glimpse of the game, but you're still, uh, you know, that's kind of the, that's, that's the part where you're not working, you know, it's hours on the clock, but it's, it's not work. It's, it's fun. So, you know, I think that for me is like my biggest take home. The the last five games have been very surreal, you know, kind of walking out and the, the the band playing and, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just kind of cool. So I, I think that's that's it for me, really. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, college football, after having no fans in the stands and, you know, being able to go back into the stands and being with, you know, eighty to 90,000 people has been, you know, a great experience and much welcomed after a long year of, you know, staying at home. Yeah. All right. Um, so kind of walk us through a day, a day in the life of like a home football game for you guys, like. From the time you wake up all the way until you guys wrap up the day. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it depends. Um, we've been switching off on who uh, stays at the hotel because, um, you know, even for home games, you, you stay at a hotel. Away games, you, everybody stays at the hotel. But um, you go to meetings, um, kind of are there for walkthrough. If any guys are feeling sick uh, from the night before, just – you know, if it's butterflies or they're coming down with something, you get them checked out, you know, call the doctor or whatever. Um, but when you're not doing that, if you're not the, the stay back guy, uh, you get there about three hours before the game. Um, the students and um, like uh, kind of like the GAs and, and like some of the people who do like a lot of the field setup, um, they get there maybe about an hour before I do. Um, sometimes they get there the same time they did like in the, earlier in the season uh, when they maybe need a little extra hand or wanted some support on how to set the field up or whatever, just because they were unsure. We, we, we get there, but now that we're kind of in the throes of season, you know, get there about three hours before 
or four uh, hours before the game. Uh, once you're there, uh, you know, the athletes show up about two hours before. So you're just kind of prepping, uh, kind of getting ready uh, for making sure everything's out there, uh, especially on the field. You want to make sure all your emergency equipment's uh, rep ready and prepped to uh, make sure all your taping equipment. Cause once the guys walk in, they need to get taped and out for warmups. Um, that, that process is about 45 minutes of taping. Um, sometimes they're kind of lingering back and uh, making sure that all their, uh, you know, their equipments and their braces are all kind of lined up and on correctly. Uh, sometimes they're dingbats, especially on Dame Gay with additive nerves. Um, but, you know, usually it's it's pretty smooth process. Uh, once, once the uh, team starts walking out, uh, we go and kind of just make sure that, Everybody's uh, mostly the students are where they're supposed to be, uh, not getting in the middle of the field, getting ran over by the horse or anything else that, that's going on on, on game day. Um, uh, uh, usually I'll, I'll, we'll be standing on the sideline for uh, about 15 minutes before we walk over uh, for home games. We uh, uh, talk to the visiting team or if we're the uh, visiting team, we'll go over and talk with the uh, home uh, facilities kind of get a, a glimpse or understanding or give the information about where x-rays are, where IVs would be. Um, sometimes they use our facilities for those things. Sometimes they come prepared for their own um, IVs or physicians kind of do a lot of their own things. Um, but just in case, you know, hey, our physician couldn't make it or, you know, some kind of uh, outrageous thing like, hey, their you know, kid got in a car accident and they had to go, you know, that kind of weird things can happen. Um, and just those kind of communications. Our head athletic trainer knows a lot of uh, the athletic trainers that will be playing. And, um, so there's, there's already communication started, you know, weeks beforehand, but just kind of making sure that they're, uh, being, we're being good hosts and making sure that they're all set up correctly. Uh, and then once we kind of go through that process, the, the talk to the physicians, talk to the concussion or the, the eyes in the sky, uh, we'll talk to them, uh, make sure that they have all the numbers that they need for communication. Uh, and then we will, uh, head back in, make sure nobody needs anything uh, before we do run out and then kick off, um, you know, watching the field, watching the sideline, making sure guys aren't coming off, you know, shaking their head, you know, you know, looking for signs of concussions or whatever, um, looking for uh, just any big things that recently has been blood just because, you know, we don't want the guys getting kicked out. And so we're the only ones with the hydrogen peroxide. So, you know, we got to clean that all off and uh, usually – uh, if there's an injury, that's when the business really, uh, you know, picks up. And so, um, uh, there's just a organized, organized, you know, emergency action plan for all kind of orthopedic or, um, any kind of injury is already kind of set. So everybody has a, res a role of responsibility. Um, once an injury happens on the field, everybody kind of goes into action mode. Um, and so, uh, communicating with physicians, communicating with, uh, hopefully not, uh, the, uh, uh you know, EMTs and, and those kind of things, uh, just depending on the situation. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all situational based at that point. So you can't really kind of go, go too far into that, but in halftime, again, you just kind of check on the guys, make sure everybody's doing okay. Make sure, um, you know, the first half injuries are, are that can continue to play that don't need x-rays, things like that, um, are taped up and, and, and needed to go. Luckily we have x-rays in the, in the stadium. So, you know, we can, if we need to get the next round of hand and get a guy casted, we can do that in halftime, that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it's just, uh, it's a blur. <laughs> it's uh, once it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. The hours leading up to, uh, you know, up to when the guys get there, but once, once the guys get there, it's, it's a blur till, you know, to the last uh, bell rings. So. Well, you know, that was a pretty awesome yep. in-depth, you know, kind of behind the scenes of what you guys go through and how it's like, Pretty much, you know, you get to see bits and pieces of the game, but other than that, you're just making sure that everyone's staying safe um, and hopefully no one's getting injured. Um, Daniel, I got one more question for yeah. you, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, um, I know you said that everyone's journey can be a little bit different. You know, you can go through residency or you could, you know, take, you know, just take your SCS or you could just kind of get into it whatever way you can. But um, what advice do you have for any aspiring sports PTs, whether they want to work at, you know, the high school, collegiate, you know, outpatient level, or even in the professional levels? Huh. My advice would be um, put yourself out there. 
stay committed because uh, there's so many people that want to do it and there's very little people that stick to it. Um, I think having the desire and the determination are two different things. They're both D words, but very different. They're, they're very different things. Um, and so I think that's a big part. And I think for, for me, um, I was very passionate, very determined to, to get to where I'm at now. Um, and I, I continue wanted to, I continue want to want to grow. Um, and I think a growth mindset allows somebody with the determination and, and the desire to continue to, 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 to get to that point. And, um, if, if you wake up in the morning and you're not seeing what you want to see out of where you're going, then make the change. Um, don't, don't complain about it. Don't, Oh no, it's never going to work out for me. Um, because it won't, you know, there's a, there's a quote, um, uh, whether you, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Um, and I think that that stuck out to me. Um, I was told that from the time I was a kid, um, uh, that, that if you, if you think you can and you try and you have the determination, you can. Um, and I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, meeting the right people, sticking to those relationships, build relationships, uh, be somebody that people like to talk to. Don't be a jerk. Um, don't be arrogant. You know, <laughs> if you think you've arrived, you're wrong. Um, and so I, I think that's the, the biggest thing, um, you know, is, and it's not just that. I think it's also, are you willing to um, be um, replaceable? Um, and what I mean by that is, are you willing to be the guy that's volunteering? Are you willing to, or growl, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, are you willing to be the person that gives freely of your time? Um are you the person that is willing to learn from somebody uh, regardless? Um, and I think always being willing to learn from people because people like to, I mean, I, I like that you called me or emailed me and said, Hey, I want to be a part of your podcast. I want to learn from you. I like that. That, that, that feeds me. That's like, okay, great. This is now, my opportunity to, to give back. Right. Uh, Cause people have, have poured into me over the last couple of years, uh, 10 years, really poured into me. Now this is my opportunity to pour back, you know, um, I think be willing to be poured into because um, the more you can grasp, the more you can learn, the more ideas that you can gather, um, then you can learn when to fit those in the right place. I think that those are all, all big things. And these are, these are life things. These aren't sports PT things, right? I didn't say anything about how good of a PT you are. I haven't said anything about how, how smart you are, what your GPA was. Cause there was times my GPA wasn't great. Right. Like I think, um, <laughs> I got lucky and got into PT school, you know, like I was like, I told you in college, I was a jock and an athletic trainer I had no time to study. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, obviously I didn't do horrible. Otherwise I wouldn't be at this point, but I continue to learn. I can, even to this day, I, I, I read articles. I, I try to continue to, to refine who I am, how I practice. And if you approach each day that way, who says you can't get there? Um, I think if you don't have the connections, sometimes you have to take a step back because, uh, you know, you, know, you, you get this, these student loans out of PT school and you think you got to get a high paying job. Um, to pay it back, right? Or to get rid of it because it sucks. It's a, a cloud over your head. Um, and I took the approach, okay, I can do that. I can pay those back, but I can also push myself and, and take take opportunities to do a fellowship where you don't get a full salary to learn. Um, and so I think sometimes life situations can't allow that to happen. Um, Luckily, I had a, a wife that could support me a little bit because she's a PT as well. And, uh, but yeah, sometimes you people don't don't aren't afforded those opportunities or the support system to 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 get to be able to take a step back. But if you if you if you can't step back, if you stay with it long enough, eventually you'll 
you'll get to that point. I feel like I got accelerated because I went through the fellowship, right? I told you it's like a catalyst to my career. Um, but if it wasn't for that catalyst, I think I would still be grinding, trying to figure out a way to make connections and, and build opportunities to create an opportunity for myself. Um, so I, I think that's my biggest advice is stick to it. If you really are passionate about it and you, and if you want your, your vision of where you practice and what you want your practice to look like, then make it happen. Um, so I, I think that's, that's my biggest thing because, um, but also realize that it's not all roses and butterflies once you get into sports. Um, I think, uh, I can't remember the exact author, but the article is, so you think you want to be a sports PT or sports physio because it's out of Europe. And it talks about the long hours, the um, self-sacrificing um, and kind of sometimes being at the bottom of the barrel to take care of athletes that don't always appreciate it. Um, that That is sometimes a little bit of a gut shot. Um, but when you love what you do, and you get those glimpses of glory, if, if that's what you're after, or you get those glimpses of, hey, that guy bought into my my treatment plan, he got successful, and you ha- got to see that that come to fruition with them returning back to sport, and you were there from day one to you know the very end, um, and, and continue to see them succeed throughout the years, um, you know you feel like you championed with them. It was their battle. It was their fight. You were just a coach along the way. And I think you, you, you didn't do that. And a lot of cases, uh, sometimes I, you know, a lot of these guys get better, uh, despite me, <laughs> um, uh, uh, because they're just, you know, they're such good athletes and so strong and their baseline is so good. Uh, but the other part is, um, being a part of their journey is, is, is great for me. Cause in a way it, it was why I got into it. You know, um, I was that athlete at one point that got pushed through, over that edge to, to get back out there a little bit quicker. And I was able to perform and, uh, get an opportunity to play college football because I finished out my season instead of, you know, missing extra games and things like that. So I, I think for me, it's like, I want to be that difference maker, whether I'm noticed or not. Um, I think that that's important too. Um, so, you know, so sports medicine isn't, isn't all the glory. Um, it's not about that. So if you, if you're in it for the glory, uh, find something else to do. Um, if you're in it to take care of people and you're passionate about sports and the sport that you're working with, whatever, um, then you, you're on to something and, and, and drive and continue to, to push for that. So I guess that's my, uh, soapbox on on that topic no i think i think that's great advice about how you know sometimes you might be unrecognized you know and it's, it's sometimes it you know it hurts a little bit it's like you know i helped you along the way but in the reality like we you know kind of harking back to the other point that we made it's like it's about the athlete you know you it feels good to help them but you know mm-hmm. we shouldn't be it's the final end product is not l- asking for that pat on the back the final end product is you like being happy to see that person out running and doing the sport that they love and realizing that you had a small part in it, but that's the satisfaction that, you know, is the end goal, not for, you know, people to high five you because you help them along their way. Cause in reality, like you said, some of these people are just, you know, athletic freaks and they're going to help get back anyway. So, you know, if you had a small role in it, you know, that's kind of what, you know, your goal as a PT or, you know, part of the sports medicine team should be. Um, Daniel, I really appreciate you, you know, taking some time out of your, your busy week um, to, you know, kind of chat with us and really dive into, you know, your journey and all the things that you've gone through and learned and, you know, sharing with other people. Um, you talked about, you know, how other people have poured into you and um, you've given, given a lot of great information and hopefully, you know, someone can be inspired and learn something from you. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to, um, say, or, you know, any social media or anything that you'd like to, you know, plug or share? Yeah, I, I would like to say I have a, uh, elaborate, uh, you know, social media kind of thing, but I, I don't, I, I think I, uh, I would, I, I hope to maybe one day kind of, kind of delve in and, and 
kind of provide some content for people to either learn or, or enjoy. But right now, if you want to follow me, you can. Um, uh, but it's mostly, you know, about my family and uh, non-work life. Uh, I, I follow people on Twitter just so I can repost, um, retweet, I don't set out any content. But I hope to one day. So um, you can look me up if you want, uh, Daniel Lynch. Uh, usually I don't even know my handles off the top of my head. That's how much I don't uh, social media. Um, but I much, I much rather talk to people face-to-face like this, Chase. And so I appreciate you. Uh, reaching out to me is an honor, uh, honestly, um, humbled that you would actually want to listen to me. I've, I feel like I'm a newbie still um, in, in this world, so I'm, I'm learning every day. Um, but I think I'll, if uh, the, the time that I'm not learning every day uh, and not enjoying myself, maybe I need to think about something else. But right now it's, it's, it's awesome, and I love what I do. Um, and Chase, thanks for uh, spreading the word and, and trying to – create content for people that are passionate about this. Cause um, you know, I didn't have podcasts and I didn't have people to really listen to other than word of mouth uh, along my way. And so maybe I would have made a fewer mistakes <laughs> um, if, if I, uh, if I had people to listen to, but um, so thanks for doing this and uh, let me know if you ever uh, have any other questions or um, you know, Hopefully we can build a, build a little bit of a rapport and relationship out of this. And that's what I'm all about, building a relationship. And because uh, we're a network and, you know, I, I am an ATC, but us PTs got to stick together because uh, there's still that, that stigma out there that we don't belong in some environments. So, um, and, you know, for me, it's like, it's funny. I've even had uh, some of the athletic trainers along my way say, well, you're a PT now, you know, you're not really an AT anymore. Um, so it's, it's still there, but <laughs> at least they, they uh, were friendly enough to joke. And, uh, but yeah, this, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun, fun, fun journey of, uh, learning and growing. Uh, let's, let's, uh, as PT sports PTs, let's grow together. Right. Um, you know, if you're listening and you know, you, uh, liked anything you heard from Daniel today or learned something because he definitely gave a a lot of knowledge. Uh, Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. But until then, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. I hope you enjoyed this extra long episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Huge shout out to Dan Lynch of Oklahoma State for coming on to the podcast to talk about his experiences. If you learned anything new, enjoyed our guest, or want to hear more episodes from great feature ones, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.